Hello, everybody. I'm Flood the Drummer. Thanks for being tuned into the Drumming for Justice podcast. It's Monday, June 4th, and today we will unpack a compelling question first published on theconversation.com. If a parent doesn't get treatment for a child suffering depression, is that abuse? Major depression is on the rise among Americans from all age groups, but is rising fastest among teens and young adults. New health insurance data shows. Joining me for this conversation is parent advocate, writer, speaker, mentor, and entrepreneur, Andrea Lawful Sanders, also known as the Divine Mother Diva. Ladies and gentlemen, the divine mother diva. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, sir. How are you on this fine morning? I am good. How are you? Well, you know, it's Monday. <laughs> it's Monday. And all that comes with it. <laughs> Hashtag Monday motivation. Yo, I'm motivated. All right. Well, start motivating me. You have about 20 minutes. I sent you a story over the weekend that I wanted to discuss because I thought it was a compelling question. It first appeared on theconversation.com and then was picked up by Salon.com and others. And the headline is Teenage Depression. If a parent doesn't get treatment for a child, is that abuse? This article was published on Salon June 3rd, and it follows a, a study published in early May that shows that major depression is on the rise among everyone, but mm-hmm. particularly among young teens and adults uh, depression rates also vary a lot state by state, with Rhode Island having the highest rate of depression at 6.4% and Hawaii having the lowest rate at 2.1%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you first, before I dive into what the article says, when you hear this concept of child abuse, particularly in the context of a parent ignoring uh, symptoms or ignoring treatment for that child, what comes to mind? What comes to mind for number would be really small and negligible because most parents don't want their children to mm. suffer in silence. I have met many parents with children who are who suffer from some variation of depression, anxiety, um, manic depressive disorder. I've seen it all and every parent that I have spoken to have been beside themselves, have tried everything that they could think of, sometimes with great results. And other times with not so great results. And I show some some examples with you when you, as we go a little bit further on. But I have seen too much of it to believe that it could be negligible. That it could be that so many parents. What am I saying, Chris? See, I told you it was Monday. I believe that that I've seen too many parents who are engrossed in their children's mental okay. well-being to think that it would be abuse. That some you know that there are people who would you know just ignore their. Well, child. it's funny. No I've seen parents, the opposite. Yeah, what? I've seen the opposites. Um, I, I've seen and heard, particularly uh, men and 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 their sons, uh, where they where they tell them not to embrace these uh, uh, emotions of you know when you're a man, you know you can't be sad or what do you have to be depressed about? You know they they kind of minimalize these feelings. Like you know I I I'm, I, I'm recalling a conversation in my head uh, now where a teenage young girl uh, was telling her parents she was depressed, and I spoke to the father about it, and the father's like, what the hell do you have to be depressed about? You know, you have XXXXX, you know, privileged young lady. 
And so I think that a lot of parents, you know, don't understand depression and they see depression as a, a, a outcome or the, a result of an occurrence or a lack of occurrence rather than a mental health, uh, a mental health issue. So if somebody, if there's a child who appears to have what they need and then they come to their parents and say, I'm depressed. I think to, to some parents, when they hear depressed, that just means sad. And it's like, what do you have to be sad about? And they don't understand. No, depression is something rooted much deeper than sadness. You know, I really would like to think that we have evolved. <laughs> <laughs> Wishful thinking. But this, right, but this sounds like ultimate denial to me. And oftentimes when a parent says this, we have found out later on that their parents have seen signs of that in their own family. That's the other thing that I want to talk to you about, right? Genetics. They've seen signs of depression in their own family, and they've just chalked it up to, and especially in the black and brown community, oh, that's uncle so-and-so, he's just a little yeah. weird. Or that's auntie so-and-so, you know. And that's a result of uh, young people being ignored and they become adults who use alcohol and pills and whatever else to stop the madness that they're feeling because no one is really paying attention to them. That's sickening yeah. to me. Um, but I also think it's a defense mechanism because people just don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. Depression is not something that you can touch and make it better. You have to literally talk to people. And sometimes the first two or three counselors that you talk to aren't the ones that work for you. Then they try to put you on medication and then the medication makes you sick or mm -hmm. it, it, you know, or it doesn't work or it leaves you feeling lethargic. And you're like, well, dang, if I'm going to go through all of that, let me just not try anything at all. And then there's the stigma that is attached where I've had people we know are totally like, you know, on a spectrum for bipolar disorder and some other things. And they say, well, I'm not going to go get diagnosed. I, that's going to show up in my mm. at work. Or it will show, you understand what I'm saying? So there's all these variables and no one really thinks about them. <clears throat> you know, if you're not, if you're not someone that's in the, in that's suffering from depression, but let me tell you something, Chris, truth be told, way more people are suffering than you would, would believe. Social media is jacking people up. Do you yeah. hear me? This constant need to go see their phones. I have literally taken my phone and put it downstairs so that I don't, when I wake up, I don't go check to see what's mm -hmm. going on. You know, it's become a habit for so mm -hmm. many of us. And even the even those among us who said, you know, I don't, it doesn't bother me. It is. It's become an addiction. And it's the thing that Steve Jobs spoke about before he died, when he said he wouldn't even let his children own a, an iPhone, mm -hmm. right? Because he understood the addictive nature of it. And he said lots of people were going to be depressed from just looking at their phones and staring at the screens all day long. Mm. It's, come, it's come to fruition. Yeah, there's, um, there's uh, this morning uh, on Good Morning America, there, uh, or I should say CBS this morning, not Good Morning America, uh, Apple, you know, to your point, Steve Jobs, they're actually tackling now this concept of phone addiction. Um, and, and, mm -hmm. and how how to mitigate that? Uh, they are going to create a, a feature, it says, and their conference is going to be uh, later today. Um, but they're expecting to launch an exciting new iPhone feature to address a problem it helped create, which was phone addiction. So I look forward to seeing what that is. But I wanted to jump back into the children point. Uh, I just pulled up an article mm -hmm. from early, uh, I should say, late May. It says white Americans are more likely to commit suicide than black Americans, but a new study finds that the opposite is true for children. Black children between the ages wow. of 5 to 12 years old are roughly twice as likely to take their own life than their white counterparts, according to the paper. 
uh, excuse me, according to the paper published in the journal uh, JAMA Pediatrics. It adds that it adds mm -hmm. to a 2016 study that found an increase in suicide rates in recent years among black children of a elementary school age. And so how do you juxtapose that to what you're saying? What I'm saying is what I say is I, I encounter parents and we both worked in classrooms where I encounter parents mm -hmm. who, who, who probably aren't even aware of their own mental health, let alone their child's mental mm -hmm. health and don't know where to go if they wanted to mitigate that to, uh, 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 compared to what, what you have dealt with. Could it be that you worked in a school that was primarily rural or suburban and, and mines was urban? Could that have anything to do with it? So let me say this. I don't mm -hmm. know because I have seen um, instances where I have been where 10-year-old black girls have just committed suicide. Their parents, they went to church on Sunday. And I'm talking, this is recently, in the last mm. year or two. Um, and the parents, put, you know, they go come home from church, go into their rooms, parents go to check on them for dinner, and they're hung. Mm. Or they have, you know, and, 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 and this is in New Jersey, that this happened, right? And parents are flummoxed, and teachers can't figure out what's going on. And they've attributed it to yes. bullying, for the most part. Um, so, you know, we're trying to figure out what that looks like. The, the educational system is trying to figure out what that looks like in terms of when it goes, when does it go from someone's just playing with you to outright bullying? And again, with social media, these children have so many apps I can't keep up, right? Where they're doing such awful things to one another, we don't see it. Um, and it becomes, until it becomes an issue. The good news that I am finding is that, and I'm hearing from parents that when their children, some children will tell their peers, you know what, I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. And the peers will go home and report it to their parents. The parents will call the police. The police will then call the parent of the child who said that they were going to commit suicide. Um, the scarier part for me are the children that I have known that never said anything to anyone. And there was a time um, in the community that I lived in where young uh, boys specifically were jumping in front of the trains and committing What community yeah. was this? Uh, this is Abby. What? Yes. So Montgomery and, County, Pennsylvania. Um, jumping yes. in front of trains. Yes. I, I, I guess One, I'm still trying to gather... When I think about children five to nine or five to twelve, how are they even learning and understanding the concept of suicide? Where does that come from? So again, I think it's a mental health thing because this one particular child, and I'm not going to name names to keep the parents, you know, from having to deal with this openly if they choose not to. This one particular child went to elementary school with my youngest son. And the first time he jumped in front of a train. Now, did you hear me? I say was just first that time? caught me because I'm thinking the how first... you jump in front of a train, that's usually it. <laughs> right. Well, this child barely Jesus. survived. He survived. They nursed him back to, you know, got him back to, you know, where he could be, but they kept a, a, a hawk eye on him. You know, tried to get him to therapy, made sure he was getting all the therapy he needed. And, you know, my son kept saying to me, Mom, I don't know how can we help this young man? But everybody was just devastated, right? And so he, they got him back and he was doing what he was supposed to do. And he went walking with his brother uh, some months later. And as he and his brother was walking, he just jumped in front of another train. And that he killed himself. So he did, yeah, jumped in front of a train twice. Didn't do it the first, got didn't die the first time. Now, when he did time. it the first time, what resources were available to his family? Everything. The family did 
everything. They put him in counseling. They had him in uh, a place where he stayed for several days. That's the other part about mental health. The the government, um, there's just there are too few places that are able to keep the children, the young people, or even adults. They won't keep them for more than four or five days. And some people are really mentally yeah. ill. And not just you know? that, but to just... your point, one of the one of the issues, and this is in psychology today, um, there's a shortage of child psychiatrists in this country. Absolutely. And there are shortages of, of adult psychiatrists, mm. too, because, you know, not all psychiatrists are created equal. And some of them just don't know how to deal with their patients. They don't know how to talk to the patients and the patients don't feel like they're being heard. And so they jump from psychiatrist to psychiatrist. Mm. Right. The other thing is in families, folks aren't really discussing mental health to the place where they say, you know what, uh, we had it in our grandmother other side you know mom suffered from it we're not having those honest conversations so that when children start to present with it they we can say to them you're not crazy you know and slowly start to figure out what to do before they become adults but it's mm. insane it is absolutely insane what's going I know on a young man no who, pun intended uh, i believe it was and is by uh suffering from bipolar depression um, mm-hmm. and unwittingly one time he told me that his mother suffered from depression, suffers from depression, barely gets out of bed. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying sort of depression is a learned behavior, but I do think that it's hereditary. Uh, yeah, it is. It absolutely is hereditary. And that's why I'm saying to you, DNA plays a huge part. There are loads of people who would not be depressed. Right. But it's a it's a it's a hereditary condition. And that's why I'm saying when families know that it runs in their DNA, in their gene pool to really start to prepare themselves, because at least one of your children will start to exhibit symptoms. What do you do? You ignore it and pretend that it doesn't there or do you try to get help for your child or children? And what you've seen in your experience as a as a parent advocate, as an educator, how does depression materialize in children? It's, does it materialize almost identical in adults, not wanting to get out of bed, socially reclusive, not eating? So it can, but we've also seen children who presented as happy and wonderfully just doing what they're supposed to they, they are able to put on a facade and then they go home and mm. fall apart. Right. Um, so what the 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 symptoms that we've been seeing are children who are doing really well in school, have social interactions. All of a sudden, the social interactions stop. They either start to gain weight or start to lose weight. They start pulling out their hair. They start cutting themselves in places where they think the parents mm-hmm. can't see. But the, but their friends know. Right. They don't want to go to school and have no real explanation about why they don't want to go to school. Uh, you know, they exhibit, they either become increasingly sulky at home or they go very silent and no matter what the parents say to them, they can't get anything out of them. Now that's in the children. In adults, it's usually, you know, can't get out of the bed, um, feeling like they are not accomplishing anything. Same thing with the children. I really think the symptoms are very similar um, in nature. We just... I just think as a people, we don't know what mm. to do. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. More more so, prevalent. I mean, who do we ask questions to? Because I, I remember having this one conversation where someone identified religious institutions, and particularly in the context of the conversation we're having, the black church as a culprit, as somebody that impedes uh, uh, people being able to seek these resources because they tell you just pray for it. 
that, you know, God gives joy, that just joy I have, the world didn't give it to me, the world can't take it away, and that depression and darkness can't exist in lightness. All those cliches that don't actually move people into progress. Right. I don't know what to tell you about that, except I saw the other day someone posting that churches are now looking for therapists because the pastors can't do it by themselves. I said, well, glory mm. be to God. We finally come. We finally come this far because that's what's been happening. And people have just been suffering and suffering. I have never seen anything yeah. like it in my life. But that's a, that again comes from when do we mm. evolve? You know, I do get it that prayer works and that you need to talk to God. But prayer without work yeah. is dead. You know, I can't have the faith of a mustard seed and not move mm -hmm. and nothing happens. So if I know, for instance, that I'm not feeling good and I go to my pastor and he says, let's pray about it. And you pray. And pastors say it all the time. My, my congregants come to me. We talk. They say, pray. I pr tell them to pray. And then they come back to me next week. Well, uh, the problem just doesn't mm. go away. You know, and then it also affects the relationships that we have, because I have people I know people who are totally suffer from depression and bipolar disorder. They get into relationships. They don't tell their mm. mates. Right. They mask it and then they get married and their mates are like, who is this crazy person mm -hmm. that I'm married to? You know, because they start exhibiting these things like angry all the time, not knowing what, you know, blaming them for everything that happens in their lives, can't get a grip on what they're supposed to do, can't make a decision to save their lives, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I mean, we literally, but folk, again, um, folks say we don't talk about it because we're afraid that if we talk about it, then you wouldn't marry, mm. or you wouldn't get into the relationship with mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So now what mm -hmm. do we do? Because that's, I mean, one time when I was on the radio, I think, and I had you as part of this conversation is, you know, dating with depression. I know that's an issue. Like, when do you disclose, if ever? And then and, and if you do disclose, are you, you know, most likely you're afraid that that person's not going to be interested anymore because they're going to see depression as this, oh, is that contagious? Or this is, oh, he's, he's contaminated. Instead of, mm -hmm. and, and I don't or, say normalizing or, depression, but in, in a way destigmatizing it and, and saying, look, a lot more people are suffering from this than you realize, which is what you said mm -hmm. earlier, mm -hmm. that is manageable mm -hmm. if you decide to manage it. And there's nothing mm -hmm. inherently wrong with you as a person. You can still live a great life and be a good person and be a great lover and a great parent and manage. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. I don't, you know, you and I should probably come back and continue to have dialogue around it. Because there's so many people. I have folks who literally um, had disassociative disorder where they stepped outside of themselves and had like different mm. personalities because they were so depressed and so catatonic from it. They didn't know what to do. And we're not having the discussion. We keep looking at people as if, oh, not you. Can't possibly be you. Why mm. not them? You know, we all, everybody has something in their gene pool, like a little touch of sugar, a little diabetes, a little high blood pressure, you know, cholesterol. We should consider mental illness the same way. But for some reason, it continues. And I know folks who are CEOs of companies who say, I suffer from depression, severe anxiety, and I can't tell anyone. And I go home and I crash every single day because I don't know who to talk to about it because here I am the leader of such mm -hmm. and such and such. And I can barely contain myself, the anxiety that over, overrides me every single day. And people go, well, they don't, they don't tell me anything. Well, I, what, what do mm. they want to say to you? We have to find safe spaces for people to be able to discuss what is going mm -hmm. on with them. And that's how folks oh, think, yeah. Chris.
Oh yeah. Think about I it. mean, we see all these school shootings and we see all this uh, these acts of violence and people want to blame it on video games and rap music. But I think a lot of the violence, a lot of the school shootings, a lot of the shootings in neighborhoods with, with, with black men on, on shooting other black men is a result of mm-hmm. mental health and depression. Yes. And listen, if you're living in a scenario where you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you're one step away from being homeless, you know, all those things take a toll on children. I don't know why adults think that they're the only ones dealing with it. What do you have to be sad about? I'm the one going to work and doing this and making sure. But, you know, it takes a toll on them, too. They see and feel. Children, children are very are just little people. Absolutely. And if, Absolutely. to your point, if you're so, a parent trying to work two jobs, that means the child is leaving a, a, a crowded classroom where they're probably not getting the attention they need. They probably feel somewhat isolated. They're going to an empty home, mm-hmm. right? Because it's more than likely yep. the parent is not home and maybe a single parent home. Yep. So they're now doing mm-hmm. their own homework. Some of these children who are teenagers are raising their young brothers and sisters. So they have that added pressure. And these mm-hmm. children in their head don't know this is depression. They just know, I feel rushed. I feel pressured. I have more responsibilities than I do joy. I'm isolated. Mm -hmm. I can't talk to my mother because she's never home. I don't know who my father is. I I don't have any one-on-one time with my teacher. My school lacks a counselor. Lord, now you're making me depressed. (laughs) That's a lot. lot, But that's a real, those are real scenarios. But wait, let me add one more piece to it for you about the child that comes from another country, mm. right? Where the parents had to come for uh, you know, because there was war in their country Refugees. or whatever else was going on. Right, and they're sent here and just plopped in the middle of everything. They don't know the language. They don't know They don't know the food. They don't know the people. Their parents are figuring, trying to make them make ends meet. And these young people, oh, and then they're put in the English as a second mm. language class. Oh my goodness. And nobody talks about the post-traumatic stress disorder that those young people mm. go through, right? From the refugees that come in here. But it's so just a Those refugees seem to still exceed in the academic world, even with all that. <laughs> they do because they realize from what they've come from. When you come from a place where you're walking 100, 200 miles in the worst conditions and you're seeing bombs and people being killed in front of you and you're stepping on bodies, when you come here and told all you got to do is learn to make a pathway to create a better life for yourself, oh, you better believe. Those memories are stuck mm. in their head and they're like, uh-uh, I got to do they're what like, I, I can't do. go back and there. That's, Absolutely. And that's the same thing for people, the immigrants that come here. You know, they're like, well, you know, we come here for a better way and a better life. So we've got to do the best that we can. And we're going to make sure our children do the best that they can. So, you know, there are different ways. Trauma affects people in different Mm. ways. Does that that make sense? Right. So just to wrap up, among children ages five to nine years old, the black suicide rate was 0.53 per million, while the white suicide rate was uh, 0.19 per million. Uh, oh, actually, let me let me start over. Let me start over. From 2001 to 2015, the overall suicide rate was approximately 42 percent uh, lower among Black youth, that's ages 17 and un- under, than among white youth. But researchers found a more nuanced pattern when they separated the data by age. Among children ages five to nine years old, the Black suicide rate was uh, 0.53 per million, while the white suicide rate was 0.19 per million. Suicide rates were also higher among black children at ages 10, 11, and 12 
but the trend reversed mm-hmm. once they hit their teenage years. Um, okay, but 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 here's the other thing. You know that's grossly underreported, right? That's only there's so many people don't report going through depression, and I believe that was only from one insurance company, correct? One or two insurance the, companies that this yeah, report. Yeah, well, the from. report I'm reading from um, from from Quartz. This is a May twenty second article from this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks at mm-hmm. uh, some of the the, the the research published in JAMA uh, Pediatrics. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, to your point, when when we were talking about uh, the uh, story about uh, depression rates varying a lot by state with Rhode Island having the highest rate of depression at 6.4 mm-hmm. and Hawaii having the lowest at 2.1. This was mm-hmm. mainly reported by um, Independence Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And so the numbers right. are, 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 are underreported uh, because mm-hmm. these are, so it says the findings are almost certainly an underestimate. Uh, the Blue Cross Blue Shield mm-hmm. data comes from 41 million health records and counts people who got mm-hmm. a diagnosis many people who report symptoms of depression say they have not been diagnosed or sought treatment for it. So we're, we're, I mean, we could be literally looking at maybe double. (laughs) Oh, easily. Right. Oh my goodness. And then there are the people who have no health insurance at all that are walking around out here undiagnosed that we see when we're walking in center city and see them just walking out here hollering at people and talking to the air and come on man I think that number is completely underreported so for as big as a deal it is back to the driving question for as big a deal that depression and mental health is in this country if parents do find out their child is depressed if parents do start seeing symptoms of of odd behavior and social Mm -hmm. and isolation and they don't do anything about it is that child abuse? How, how do we classify that? How do we talk about that? But Chris, how do you consider something? I, I get, and I, I understand that they're the outliers, right? But do you know what it costs to go see a therapist and most insurance companies don't cover it? Do you understand what that costs? The average therapist costs over $100 yeah. a session. You can't get cured in two or three sessions. If I can't afford to pay for my water bill, my electric bill, to put mm. food on the table, to keep a roof over our head, how am I going to come up with $100 per session? Of course, I'm going to tell the child, go sit down somewhere. Meanwhile, you're mm-hmm. worrying and praying that that child feels better. I just really don't think it's child abuse. I don't. I think they're mitigating circumstances for the majority of parents. Now, yes, we have the outliers that are just, just you know, that just I don't even know why. That's a really parents, good point. Right? You just don't pay I don't even think that this article, I mean, this this article that, that appeared on conversation.com, it, it talked about a lot of the different barriers. Lack of screening for depression mm-hmm. is one part. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, access to care is another problem. The severe mm-hmm. shortage of child psychiatrists. Uh, parents may mm-hmm. not also see the symptoms, but they did not talk about the class Cost. and the socioeconomic status, which you bring up, is that yes. even if I do acknowledge these issues, now what? I'm trying to keep the lights on. Yes. Right. Which is why they end up in church asking pastor mm. to pray for them. Because they can't afford to take the child. So I wonder now, from therapy. a policy perspective, do we need to then talk about, you know, not free healthcare for all, but free child psychologists? Like, having that as, as a policy, how do we think about making sure that free mental health treatment for children is accessible in, in neighborhoods. Well, the, you know, interestingly, these things come up when someone's child uh, that they consider important end up 
committing suicide, mm-hmm. right? And that you see a large cachet of certain groups of children committing suicide, large cachet of a certain group of children, you know, uh, use opioid use. A large, you understand right. where I'm going with this, right? And so they'll find a way eventually to fix this by having access to mental health care when it starts to affect more children than they think it should affect. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Well, if the right. trends, and if so, the numbers keep going the way they do, it's only going to be a matter of time before it starts impacting our black lawmakers. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And apparently, it, it probably is. But of course, nobody's talking about that's, it, right? Because we have this thing you you can't you can't go out and talk about our business out in the streets. You know that has to stay at home. And so, so often, people suffer in silence. I could tell you stories that would make your nose hairs curl. I'm mm. telling you. It's a lot. It's a lot for a lot of people. And so it's just, I don't know how we're going to do this. What I found that is when families are going through it and they open up and call to talk. I personally have a long list of counselors and therapists and and psychiatrists of color in my database to send to people, right? Try this one, try that one. And sometimes I even have a couple of therapists that say, I'll give them two free sessions depending on how severe the person, the child is, mm. of what's going on. So I'm, I'm not just talking about it. We're looking at solutions too. We're just quietly. Now, do you I mean, find that you have to convince business. parents to swallow their pride and accept this service and accept the reality that their child is this way? No, no, sir. By the time they call me, they're in a desperate wow. place. No. Mm-mm. I've never had to convince a family member that the child needs help, you know, and so by the, and they know. So when you have a, a, a record, uh, when people know that you're, you're known for doing certain things, they'll call you and say, and they know that I am going to keep their confidence mm-hmm. too, right? So you'll never hear me talking about, well, so-and-so call me today. Nope, not happening. And so they know that they can call me with the strictest of confidence and I will go through my database and go, all right, try this one. You live over here, try that one. And that's how we've been getting help for the young people, or if I have within my network people who are therapists and they know that the families can't afford it, send them to mm. <laughs> It's like a bartering system, right? And the children will start to get help. Wow. That's the Divine Mother Diva, an educator, parent advocate, parent herself, entrepreneur, and speaker. Uh, give your information out for our listeners who may want to connect with you, who hear this and say, you know, I, I need to reach out because I'm experiencing some of this with my child. I could use some, some insight or some help. So my email is info at alawfultruth.com. My Facebook handle is alawfultruth. My Instagram handle, handle is alawfultruth. And my, what's that other one? Twitter, Tweety, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter <laughs> is alawfultruth. I do have a Divine Mother Diva um, Twitter handle too. So however you want to reach me, that's fine. But if you, if you don't want to go through the social media handles, email me at info at a lawful truth. And everyone, I, I truly am, 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 encourage you all to also check out uh, the divine mother diva on anchor. That's anchor.fm slash a lawful truth. Lawful uh, she truth. is the voices for the masses, revolutionary mother, wife, anchor for your soul and truth seeker. You can check her out on anchor.fm at a lawful truth or a lawful truth.com. And of course, you can follow me on social media at Flood the Drummer. You can subscribe to the Drumming for Justice podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are available. For the Divine Mother Diva, I'm Flood the Drummer. Until next time, I'm Drumming for Justice. 